We need to do something before we get, go any further. Um, can we thank, one, these guys? Can we just thank them? I'm not going to exaggerate, I promise. We did not have this, like, Friday, and God brought things together. These guys have been so gracious and stepping up. I'm so grateful for them. Also, let's give a hand to all of the volunteers. There, we got here really early because we don't know what we're doing. If you're new here or a guest with us, so are we. And so we had no idea what to do, uh, but they came through. Can we give them a hand for that? Yeah. Well, I am excited, and like I said, I think this is a day that that I will remember forever, honestly, uh, forever. Let me give you a glimpse of where we're going. So in the, the final time that we have here together this morning, we're going to look at, and I do have a confession, I was supposed to cover three verses, I got real bogged down with one. So we're going to look at one verse, that's it, together today, and uh, from there what we're going to do is we're going to look at it, I think it has an implication for us. So I want to look at that verse, and then we're going to ask one simple question based on that verse. Are you ready? No. Okay. Uh, Like you might have guessed, we're going to be in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them, turn them there. Uh, John is a really unique book. It's one of my favorites uh, because of this. It is so simple and complex. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, It is simple because if you're maybe new to the faith, if you're someone here, if you were to pick up your Bible, you wouldn't know really what to do with it. Or if you're here and maybe uh, you don't really know what you're believing, maybe you're seeking truth for the first time, John is the perfect book for you to read. It is simple. It it beautifully lays out what uh, Christ did, what we believe as Christians. It lays out the foundation of our faith so simply, so beautifully. However, it is also one of the most profound and complex books of your Bible. Uh, John somehow found a way to use less words, more simple words, to express the most profound truths. And here's what I mean. If you're, if you're a student in Bible school or seminary and you're learning languages, Greek and Hebrew, you love John. It is the easiest book in the world to pick up. However, at the same time, scholars have given their entire life to this one book, and they still have not exhausted the truth that's found here. There's something beautiful in that. So when we were praying about, yeah, what would you have us look at? What would you have us look at as a church the first time we meet? What would would you have us look at? We were drawn to this book because here's what I believe. No matter who you are or where you are at, where your, your religious background is, where you are in your faith, I believe this book has something for you. This book has something for us. And so we want to dive in, and we're not going to dive very far. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the first chapter and actually the first verse. So uh, let me read it. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We're going to have it on the screen. It is on the screen. Let's read this together. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I think it's important that we ask the obvious questions. Sometimes as people who read the Bible, some, we, we skate past things that we should probably ask. Here's a question. When it says in the beginning, what is John referring to? What is beginning? What is starting? So when John says in the beginning, what is John referring to here? Well, it, it might, one of the most, 
I think it's the most famous books of all the Bible, happens to be the first book uh, or of all the Bible, the first verse of all the Bible, which is Genesis 1.1. And it starts, if you know it, in a similar way. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It's not a coincidence that John starts his letter in that same way because John is talking about that same Genesis 1.1 scene, the scene where there was nothing and God spoke everything into being. So this, when, you, when he says, in the beginning, I want your mind to go back to that Genesis 1-1 moment. When nothing existed, nothing was there, and God spoke it into being. So in the beginning, it says, was the word. Notice, and these are just simple observations here. It didn't say, in the beginning, became the word. It implies that the word was. In that Genesis 1-1 scene, when nothing existed, God spoke it all into being, John says that the word was present for that. And that's important. That's an important observation we need to make before we go any further, because this verse has some complexities. But if you get that, it sets a foundation. So in the beginning, in that Genesis 1-1 moment, the word was. The word existed. And he doesn't end there. He, he goes on, actually, I want to ask one more question this is, this is another one that we kind of skate by sometimes. Why, who or what is John referring to when he says the word? And why on earth does he choose to use that terminology? Why does he choose to say the word instead of who he's referring to? Let's, let's look at that for a second. The, the who question is actually, if you look at the rest of the chapter, kind of becomes a little more clear. Uh, in, in the whole book, the whole chapter, the whole book is centered on uh, Jesus Christ, the work, the person of Jesus Christ. The, uh, John happens to be a book that we call a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible. And all of these books give an account for what Jesus did while he was on earth. Uh, they give us an account of that. And so John's book is centered on Jesus. It's, it's focused on Jesus. In verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It goes on. To say, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So right there, we, we see the connection. Uh, John is introing his, his letter by talking about Jesus Christ, and he's referring to him as the Word. In verse 12, that, that Kathy did such a great job reading already, it says, the Word gives us the right to become sons and daughters of God. The Word gives us life and light. And so we know that John is referring here to Jesus. And so now the question is, why did John use that terminology? Why didn't he say, in the beginning was Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? Was he trying to confuse us? Was he trying to talk in code? Yes. No, he wasn't. I promise. Here's, I, I, if you're a visual learner here, I want you to, to do something for me. I need you to imagine a scenario, okay? We're all going to imagine together. I want to imagine that you were to write a letter Right now, a long letter, and not write, but write, like old school type, all right? So we're writing with pens here, writing a long letter to a very good friend. And you're just going to write a letter letting them know how life is going, okay? So imagine that. You sit down right now. We take a break, and you write this letter out, okay? Now, after our service, we take that letter, and we put it in a time capsule. And right after our service, we go out to their parking lot. We dig a hole they don't recommend that, but we'll ask permission. You dig a hole, and you put that time capsule in. We cover it up, and 200 years pass. 
Now, 200 years later, I want you to imagine that the community of Stone Oak, driving our hovercrafts and all of that, that we, they come around and they dig up this time capsule. They open it up, they take out that letter, and they read your letter that you wrote to a good friend. Now, would you assume that some of the terminology, some of the verbiage, some of the things that you said, some of the ways that you said it would have been a little foreign to them? Well, sure. It's like when you read English lit. Like, I'm, they're speaking the same language, but that's not the way we say it anymore. It would be some of, that similar, some of those similar things, right? Well, let's take it a step further. Okay, we wrote the same letter. We put it in the same capsule. Instead of burying it here in Stone Oak, we ship it to London. They bury it in London. And 200 years later, the people of London, they dig it up and they read that same letter. Now, would you assume that some of the verbiage, some of the ways that we say things, some of the ways that we communicate would have been maybe a little bit weird, a little bit foreign? We don't use rubbish and all of that stuff, right? It would have been weird. That's because not only is it separated by time, it's separated by culture and geography as well. Let's take it a step further. Same letter, we write it, we put it in the time capsule, we ship it to London, they bury it, they take it out, they read it. Now, the people of London then translate that letter into Portuguese. And they take that letter and they ship it to Portugal, and the people of Portugal take that letter and they read it. Would you assume that they would read that letter and go, what is going on here? It's the same language. We don't say it like that. What is happening here? Would you assume that some of the verbiage, some of the terminology... Of course, it's separated by time, culture, geography, and now even language. It's pretty removed, pretty separated. This is a small glimpse of what's happening here when John uses the terminology, the word. Because John was writing to a specific people in a specific place for a specific purpose. And this terminology, the word, uh, would have been a very common terminology of the day. We have it actually, it's pretty cool. We have record of them using this terminology, especially in uh, philosophy. So the philosophers of the day would have this terminology, this idea of the word. So what was John doing? He was doing something that we call contextualizing the gospel. He was taking their language, the language of his day, their culture, their, the way they talk, and he was bringing the gospel to them. He was meeting them where they were. When he said the word, they would have understood they had a framework for that. He was taking the gospel, he's taking the good news of Jesus, and he was bringing it to their culture. And I want to just go on a little rabbit trail. I promise it's worthy, though. Uh, language is important. How we talk about things is very important. And we need to be a little bit more like John in this, that we're able to contextualize our faith, bring what we know to be true and, and speak it into a language that, that our culture understands. The person next to you at your office does not need to be asked a question like, do you have propitiation for your sins? Or they, If I was a betting man, I would say they don't need to be asked that question. And so let me, let me if you've ever hesitated if you ever hesitated to share your faith because you may not know the right words, right words, let me just give you some comfort. People are not looking for the right words. They're looking for your words. They're looking for your words. They're looking for a real conversation with a real person who has real faith and a real God. That's it. That's it. 
And that's what we see going on here in, in John. He's taking the gospel and he's bringing it to them in their words that would have connected with them. And so what he says, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. This is, this needs to be unpacked because this is crazy talk. Let me, let me explain. I cannot say that, use that language with anything else in life. I can't say I was with Hector and I was Hector. You follow me? That is absolute crazy talk. And so as a Christian, we read this and we glide over it, but this is crazy. We need to unpack this. We need to see what is going on here and understand why he says it this way. So let's start with the first one. Uh, the word was with God. Now, when you're with something, there's an implication, right? There's an implication that there's more than one, right? Unless you're crazy. There is more than one when you say, I was with someone. Uh, what do we do with that? As Christians, we don't believe in more than one God. We don't believe in multiple gods. We don't believe that. The Bible does not say that. It says the, the Lord our God is one. We know that. So what do we do with plurality here? There's multiple. There's multiple. We see that the word has a distinct uh, identity. And he goes on. He doesn't end there. He says, in the beginning, or uh, the word was God. So the word was with God and the word was God. So not only was the word uh, separate in identity from God, but at the same time, he was God. At the same time, he was God. We see that even clearer because one of the most prominent characteristics that only and ever is given to God and God alone is that he's the creator, right? God created the world. We, we know that. God created. Well, in this scripture that we just read, all the world was created through the word. That's God. So the word was God. The word was with God. Um, as Christians, what do we do with that? What, we can't glide over that. Um, what we're going to see here is that this is a, a small glimpse into something that John's going to unpack in more detail later in his letter and that the New Testament will unpack for us. And it's actually one of the fundamental aspects of our faith as Christians and that is this. This is a small glimpse into the Trinity. The Trinity. That, yes, God is one. God is one. We don't have multiple gods. We have one God, but that he is three persons, Father, Spirit, and Son. Father, Spirit, Son. All equal, all distinct, all one. This is a glimpse. That is the only way that the Word could be with God and the Word was God, that Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. This is a glimpse, a small glimpse into the Trinity. Here's what's going on here, and here's what I want to camp on for a little bit. What John is doing in this verse is he is giving us the identity of God. He's telling us who God is. Who is God? He was, was present in the beginning. He created everything, and he is Jesus. He's giving us the identity of God himself, and this is where I want to step back and say something that may sound very simple. It may sound, um, well, it may sound like a no-brainer, but I believe that this could be one of the most controversial things that we could say, and that is this. God's identity is not left up to us to define. God's identity 
is not and has never been left up to us to come up with or to define. It never has. We have this thing in our culture that is, is really popular right now, that what's right for you is right for you, what's right for me is right for me. Uh, this is God to you and that's God to me. And hear me, and I need you to hear me here. As Christians, we need to lead the charge in respecting all men, regardless of their faith and creed, regardless that we lead the charge in respecting people that don't look like us, don't think like us, don't believe like us. We need to lead that charge. Respect. But hear me, respect is not concession. Respect is not concession. To respect someone does not mean that you lay down and say, all truth, I guess, is okay. We can love and respect without saying everything must be free for all. Everything must lead to the same place because respect is not concession. And here's, God did not leave his identity for us to define because he defined himself for us in his word. All throughout the scripture and especially in passages like John 1.1, he defined himself. He is not ambiguous. He is clear that he is Jesus. He is not ambiguous. He is Jesus. And I had a seminary professor that would always tell me, you need to be a student of both your word and your culture. You'd always tell us, be a student of both your word and your culture. Uh, and so I thought it would be important for us to find, to just kind of look at what our culture feels about this. I found something unique. I wanted to share it with you. Uh, there was a study that was done by a, a man named Christian Smith. This, this is recent, and it's actually a really prominent study that is out there. Uh, very widely used. He was uh, a lead researcher for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, he, he led a national survey, a national research. He had a, a ton of researchers with him. This was a massive project. I didn't get the number of how many they surveyed, but it was, it was substantial. Books have been written about this and, and whatnot. Uh, and their aim, what they wanted to do is they wanted to look at the landscape of American religion today. Look at the landscape of what American religion was, especially young Americans, especially American teenagers. So their aim was to look at the landscape of American religion, especially prevalent in teenagers, and they wanted to just see what they found. If there were common threads that linked everyone together, if there was a commonality among them, well, what they found was so staggering that they labeled it they named it, and they wrote books about it. Uh, and it's an awesomely long word that I'm going to put on the screen, and we're going to unpack it. They defined American religion, especially prevalent in, in young teenagers, as moralistic therapeutic deism. I told you it was a good word. I like big words. This is a good one. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, luckily, they defined that for us. Uh, what they said is they named it that, and then they said, among all of these surveys that came back, the data shows that five things are common. I mean, common in across the board. That five things, they share five things in common, and that's where they got this name. We're going to walk through them. The first is this. A good, or a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. So basic. A God exists. He created, he ordered, and he watches, Right? Uh, among all of the people they surveyed, this was a common belief that they held. As a God created, he ordered, he watches. Uh, number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Uh, 
this is the moralistic part. Uh, not only did God create, not only did he, um, did he order, did, does he watch over things, but he wants us to be good people. He wants us to be moral people. He wants us to be good, okay? Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Here's the therapeutic part. Um, so not only does God create and order and watch, but he also wants us to be good, wants us to be moral people, and uh, he wants us to feel good. He wants us to feel happy. This should be the prominent goal. Number four, uh, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. There's the deistic part or the deism part. So in other words, he's, he's involved, kind of, but not really, it doesn't really matter if he's truly involved, but when things fall apart, he's there. We see this in our culture. When catastrophes hit, we have prayer services popping up all over the place. And that's because of this, because he's there when things are falling apart. So God exists, he ordered, he watches, he wants us to be good, he wants us to feel good, and he is not particularly involved, but he is there when things fall apart. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Good people go to heaven when they die. So if you take those five things, those pillars of what uh, especially young Americans believe, these are the pillars. This is where they build their religion on. Um, here's, what I, here's what I see in this, is that if we attempt to find, and as we've attempted to, to find and identify God and come up with a religion, what we've done is we've made God ambiguous. We've, we've boiled it down to a least common denominator, and God has become this ambiguous idea. Religion is kind of this ambiguous, what's right is right for you, and, and that idea that's centered on personal preference and centered on personal experience. It's kind of subjective, right? Because these five pillars are so ambiguous uh, as you think about the, the landscape of, of, our, of our country. And here's where I'm getting at. The Bible does not give us the option to define God without Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us the freedom or the option to say, this is God, if that's not Jesus. Because the, the Bible lays out for us who God is. He has defined himself, and he has not given us the freedom to go in and tweak, because everything hinges on what we do with Jesus. Everything hinges on what we do with Jesus. According to the scripture, Jesus is not just a good moral example he was not just a good teacher, rabbi. He was not just this compassionate miracle worker. He was not just this man that was falsely accused and, and killed. That happens all the, all the time, all throughout history that has happened. Uh, he was not just this Mother Teresa type. Uh, he was not just this, um, this prophet. He was not just a revolutionary. If that's your view of Jesus, it's insufficient because on top of that list, Jesus is God. He's defined himself. God has defined himself, and it's not left up to us to, to decipher for ourselves. And so here's the question. If everything hinges on Jesus, here's the question. What do we do with him this morning? What do we do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus this morning? And if you boil everything down, I think there are three options for us, really two, but we'll get to that. There are three options for us, and I want to walk through them. 
The first one is this, you can reject him. According to demographics, which we had, we've had several studies done of our community here in Stone Oak. We had one recently done. And according to those demographics, we found that about two-thirds of our community fall into this group. That two-thirds of our community, just under 70% of our community, claim to reject Christ. That's us. That's here. Um, when you, these people are the people that, that know what he claimed to be. They know it, but they don't believe it. They don't believe what the Bible says is true. We, we say, it just doesn't do it for me. I, it, those, that's the, the attitude. Um, I want to say something and push the pause button a little bit. If that's you this morning, first of all, I want to welcome you here. And you are always welcome here. Always welcome here. More than that, I want to thank you for being here because I know that coming to a Christian church is probably not the highlight of your week. It's not something that you pull out your calendar and like highlight, yes, cannot wait. It's probably not. But you're here, and so I want to thank you for being here and tell you you are always, always welcome here. And let me, if you're here and that's you, and you never come back to this place again, my hope and my prayer is that it's not because that we are judgmental. My hope and prayer is that it's not because you don't trust pastors. My hope and prayer is that you, you, it's not because you think we're all hypocrites, uh, which, by the way, according to those demographics, are the three reasons why people in our community don't come to church. My hope is that it is none of those. None of those. It is if, if you don't come back because you disagree with what we say about Jesus, okay. But if it's because we're judgmental or hypocritical, let us never be that church. You are always always welcome here, and um, if you've had a bad experience with, with Christians or the church, I want to apologize, and I also want to encourage you, don't let that color your opinion of the truth. And I, I know that's easier said than done, uh, but don't let that taint or color what you believe and know to be true. Um, I want to put all my cards real quick on the table, and then we're going to jump back in. My hope, if that is you this morning, that you will realize that Jesus Christ is a Savior, that you will come to know him and know that what he said is true and that your life will be forever changed. That is my hope. That's my prayer. All cards on the table. But listen to me, and this is not because you're a project. This is because I love you and I care about you, and I just want you to experience the joy that I've experienced. That's, that's it. I, I really believe it, and that's why. But, but listen to me. If you have no intention of ever ever even listening to any of this, you are still welcome here. You are still welcome here. I still love you. We still can do lunch after this. We love you. I'm still going to pray for you, but you are still welcome here. And if you could do one thing for me um, on your own time, if you would just read the book of John, just pick up the book of John and, and read the rest of it. Like I said, we're in one verse this morning, but if you could read the rest of the book, and while you do that, just ask yourself, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? Um, that would be huge, because you're going to see uh, in such a beautiful and clear way what we as Christians hold to so dearly. Uh, that's the first. You can reject him. I'll jump back in. Number two, you can ignore him. You can ignore him. These, this is when you, you hear it, you know it, but when things get serious spiritually, you take a Step back, you withdraw a little bit, and it's not that you don't believe it, you just don't care. 
It's just not for you right now. It's just, we'll get to that. We're going to get to that later. But right now, it's not for me. Uh, It's kind of like the kick in the can down the road approach. I'm going to get to this later. I promise I'm going to get to this later. Right now, though, life is pretty okay. And I'm just going to continue riding this thing out. Um, If that's you this morning, maybe you're here because you have kids, which I found in all my years as as a pastor, that's the number one reason families come to church. It's not because the, the parents have a vibrant relationship with Christ. It's because now we have kids. We don't want them to be heathens, so we're going to come to church. And so they come back, right? Um, maybe that's you. Maybe you're here because someone brought you, um, which, by the way, we haven't told anyone about our church. So if you're here, it's because someone brought you, which is kind of a, a cool thing. But maybe you're here because someone brought you. Maybe you're here because someone just asked you to, to come. Um, according to our demographic studies, that same study, uh, 32% roughly claim to be Christian. 12% say that faith is important to them. That should, you should wonder about that. What happened to that 20%? These are most likely the people taking the kick the can down the road approach here of, I don't necessarily not believe it, but I just don't care now. I just don't care now, 20%. Um, let me just be honest. The life spent, the joy that's found in a life spent that's just kicking the can down the road is incredibly fleeting. It's like you're living with a tumor and you know about it, but you don't want to go to the doctor. You'd rather just continue having fun with your family, continue enjoying life and enjoying things. The tumor's not going away. It's there and it robs the joy because kicking the can down the road for tomorrow will rob the joy that you could have today. And here's the reality. Rejecting him is really not an option. It is not an option because to ignore him today is to reject, or to ignore him for tomorrow is to reject him today. If you are kicking the can down the road for later, what you're saying is right now I'm rejecting. Ignoring is not an option. It's not a valid option because ignoring him for tomorrow is to reject him today. Um, if that's you, I just plead that you stop. The tumor's not going to go away, but Jesus can take your tumor and make you new and heal you. And he can give you life and life to the fullest in him. Um, I have to move. Number three, a third option to, a- to answer this question, what do you do with Jesus, is you can follow him. You can follow him. Um, this is, you're not rejecting him, you're submitting to him, you're not ignoring him, you're following him today. Uh, you know what Jesus has, uh, the Bible says that Jesus is and what he's done, and you are saying yes. And it has changed your life completely. You can follow him. You can, you can follow him. Um, if this is you, I want you to understand two things. One, you are a minority. You are not normal. Some of you knew that, but now you have stats to prove it. You are not normal. And two, your faith is not for you to sit, soak, and enjoy. That's not why you have it. It's yours to leave from your minority and to go and give the good news to those who have rejected them all their life or those who have been ignoring them for all of their life. You are a minority, and we are called to leave our minority and to go into our community. Uh, When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he wasn't coming up with the most miserable way of life. He wasn't. 
When he said, go and make disciples, it was to give us life and life to the fullest. Life and life to the fullest. Um, Wherever you are this morning, whichever of these three, really two, but three options that you find yourself in, I want you to know that we want to be a church that will come alongside of you. We want to be a church that will come alongside of you wherever you are. Maybe you're here and you have no idea where you are. We want to be a church that will come alongside of you and help you. And let me give you this. The primary way that we do that is through our community groups. There's a reason that we chose to launch community groups before we even launched as a church. It took a lot of work. We, we poured a lot in. Craig has been going crazy on, on, on getting these groups started. And I, it's because we believe in them so much that we couldn't afford to wait. And what I love is that we have several groups right now meeting all throughout our community. There's spots for you. And you are actually able to sign up for one now. Even before we've launched as a church, we, you can sign up for one now. So here's what you do. As you leave here, there's a blue booth right over there on the other side of that uh, that says community groups. We're going to have uh, all we need from you. If you're not plugged into a community group and you want to be, um, all you have to do is stop by that booth. We have a short, um, it's kind of like a survey kind of thing just to give us information and to give you options. So when you give us that information, we're going to give you options of ways that you can connect and plug in into a community group. And so when you leave, stop by. We're going to have some people there who, who are going to help you. But whether you, wherever you are, whether you have been rejecting God all of your life, whether you have been ignoring him, whether you have been following him, we have a spot for you. We have a place for you in its community group. So as, as you leave, uh, stop by and, and don't miss out on that. Um, some of you, though, I think before we, you leave, maybe you need to just have a moment and pray. And if that's you, I want to invite you, don't leave before you do that. We're going to have some leaders uh, up at the front and some pastors up at the front, and we just want to pray with you. If there's anything that you need prayer for, if you're, if you're wrestling with something, something is, 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 is just going on in you and you need to pray, we're here. Uh, if you're praying for someone you love, whatever the case may be, uh, we want to invite you to come forward uh, after we close uh, today. I don't want you to miss. That's why we're, that's why we're here. Uh, let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll, we'll be done. God, I thank you for this church that you have started I thank you for the people, the work that you've already done. More than any of that, though, I thank you for your son because it is on him and him alone that all of this rests and all of this is founded on. Without him, none of this would mean anything, but with him, this means everything. So I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Do what we could never do. Give us grace that we never deserved. And I thank you for that. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, okay. One reminder, then we're done. Remember to fill this card out and to drop it in the ginormous black box. Okay? Drop it in there, and um, we'll send you that survey today. And uh, go ahead and stand with me. Thank you for being here. Again, I'm going to thank you several, several, several more times. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to remind you of one thing, and that is this. As we leave, our next preview service is March 15th. March 15th. March 15th. 
Let's say it together. March 15th. Awesome. Uh, I want to invite you to that. I want you to invite you to, to bring someone else. And we're going to do the same thing with the feedback. So when you ask people to come, please get people to come that can give us feedback that we can grow from and learn from, okay? So invite someone March 15th. As you go, turn to someone and tell them, see you on March 15th. We do that? Thank you, guys.